We are in the midst of a five-week series in looking at the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But I would like us to take one step back and look at two aspects of that fruit before we look at today's fruit of goodness and faithfulness. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, the chapter from verse 18 to verse 25, Four times in that chapter it is mentioned. It starts off in verse 18. He says, walk by the Spirit. Then he says, live by the Spirit. And then in between in the sandwich, if I may call it that way, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And then, sorry, I mixed them around. First says, led by the Spirit. Then he says, live by the Spirit. And then the last one he says in verse 25, be in step with the Spirit. These four are essential for us to be able to live out the fruit of the Spirit. If I walk in the Spirit, if I'm led by the Spirit, if I live by the Spirit, and if I take my steps by the Spirit, I will be able to live out the fruit of the Spirit. I cannot crank up the fruit of the Spirit by myself. It is the Spirit of God flowing in and through our lives. And Paul was writing here because he wants the church to understand if you are not walking in the Spirit, you are walking in the flesh. If you're not living by the Spirit, you're living by the flesh. If you're not led by the Spirit, you are led by the flesh. And he says, come, allow God to display his fruit of the Spirit through your lives. And the second principle, I would like us to turn to John chapter 15. For those of you that want to use the Bibles in the seat in front of you, it's page 848, 848. There Jesus explains to us what does it mean to bear fruit. Now the average tree, when you plant it, it takes about two years for it to begin to produce fruit. In life, we normally count the years and we say a person is 40, 50, 60, 80 years old. Age goes by number. Maturity does not go by number. Maturity goes by fruit. You can be 10 years following Jesus and your fruit can still look like this. Not edible, sour, neglectable. What does it mean to bear fruit? And Jesus explains it so beautiful in John chapter 15, verse one. He says, first of all, he says, I am the vine. And I want to illustrate it to you in this way. He says, not just I am the vine, he says, I am the true vine. In other words, I'm the only vine. There are no other vines that can produce life and fruit. So he starts off by saying, I am the vine. The second thing that you need to produce food, fruit, he says, and my father is the vine dresser. In other words, my father is the farmer. And what does the farmer want to see? He wants to see plenty of fruit. He says, by this my father is exalted, glorified, that you bear much fruit. And the purpose of the father is that we will bear much fruit. 
And then he says there are two things that the farmer does. Those branches that does not bear fruit, he cuts them off. Those branches that do bear fruit, he trims them so that they can bear more fruit. We are not called to be shady characters, but to be fruitful sons and daughters of God. Shade in a vineyard is not good. It makes the grapes go bad. The third thing that we need, Jesus says, we need to be branches. He says, you are the branches. But he starts off with single term. He says, you are the branch. Each one of us is a branch. We have been draft, grafted into the vine. When Christ came on Calvary, he died on our, in our place, and we were grafted into him when we believe in him, when we receive him. Then he says, abide in me. If you want to bear fruit, abide. Abide means stay in me. Up to that point, Jesus was inviting his disciples, and he says, come, follow me. But here in John 15, he switches over. Because there are two ways I can follow you. You can be out there at the exit already, and I can be here. Yeah, I'm following you. I'll, I'll hear when you leave the building. I'll be there right up with you. In other words, I can follow you far off, or I can be right, right next to you, step by step, watching your very movements. And for Jesus to clarify any of that, he says, no longer follow, but abide in me. There is no misunderstanding. And it's not just enough to come here on a Sunday. It's awesome and it's great and we enjoy it. But coming only on a Sunday does not make up for abiding. What do you do the rest of the week? You do your own thing. And then you come and plug and play again on a Sunday morning. It doesn't work like that. There will be no or very little fruit in your lives. Abide, stay in me all the time. And then the fifth thing that he is saying, he says, you are the branches. Corporately, we are the branches. Saints, we cannot do this journey by ourselves. We've just prayed for one another. Part of the body is suffering at the moment. We need each other's care and love and prayer and comfort. For us to bear fruit, we need branches. All of us need to be involved. And then the last two things that he is saying to them. He says, let my word abide in you. In other words, for us to bear fruit, we need to live in and through God's word. And then the second last verse in the chapter, he says to us, we need to have the Holy Spirit. When the helper, when the Holy Spirit comes in verse 26, he will help you. You can have the word without the spirit. You will shrivel up. Because if you only have the word of God without the Holy Spirit, you become judgmental, critical, and legalistic. If you have the spirit without the word, you will blow up because there is no truth that you ground your experiences in. If you have the word with the spirit, you will grow up. 
The process of bearing fruit is critical to understand. We have the vine. He is Jesus. We have been granted into the vine. We have the vine dresser, the farmer, that is out to see so much fruit from our lives so that he can be exalted. We need to abide, stay there, day by day, moment by moment. That's why he says, walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, stay in step with the Spirit. It is continuous so that you can bear much fruit. Let's go and look at today's fruit that he wants us to bear. The first one is goodness. And for that, I would like in the meanwhile, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at that example. But let's first ask the question, what is goodness? Goodness is a word that we only find in the scripture. No other ancient documents either in the Hebrew or in the Greek language, use the word goodness. It's only a term that we use, find in scripture. And it refers to an intrinsic good that only comes from God. And it shows itself, it manifests itself in our lives through moral, spiritual, and relational excellence. Can I say that again? Goodness is an intrinsic good that only comes from God that manifests itself in our lives through spiritual, moral, and emo relational excellence. In Exodus 33, verse 18, I just want to use one verse from the Old Testament and one in the New Testament that says it so beautifully. In Exodus 33:18, Moses was having a discussion with God about going to the promised land. And he said to God, who will go with us? And he says, God was talking to him like a friend. And then Moses requested God. He says, God, please show me your glory. And then God said to Moses in verse 19, Exodus 33, I will make all my goodness pass in front of you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. God's goodness translate into God's glory. And God so desire for that goodness and that glory that can only come from him to be manifested in and through our lives. The New Testament verse we find in Titus 3, verse 4 and 5. And you find this word goodness only four times in the New Testament. But look how beautiful it brings together God's goodness. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. So God's goodness is directly related to Christ coming to save us. Not because of works done by us, and we will come back to that in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Last month, the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University just published an article that was for me so, so shocking. In that article, they say that one-third of our pastors, in, senior pastors in this beautiful land, believe one can earn a place in heaven 
by simply being a good person. One third of our pastors believe that. We find a different story in scripture. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. And again, if you want to use the Bible in front of you, page 794. Page 794. Mark 10, 17. There is a beautiful story about a rich young ruler that came to the Lord Jesus. And Jesus was talking to him. Verse 17, and as he was setting out, in other words, Jesus was going on his journey. A man ran, ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This man, the same story was told in Luke, had four characteristics. He was rich, so he had great wealth. Second thing, he was young, he had great health. He was a ruler, he had great power. And then the last one that is mentioned there, he was very spiritual. He asked, how can I inherit eternal life? So from this position, he thought, if I can just take a few more steps, and he did take a few more steps. Jesus said to him, you cannot call anyone good except God. And then he says, what about the commandments? Do not murder, do not steal. He said, Lord, I've kept all of those. So he even went six steps higher. His ladder was much taller. He came to the top of his ladder. And he couldn't reach eternal life. Then Jesus said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, we will come back to that, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This young ruler got stuck on this step he, he really tried. He says, God, I really want to, but my riches are just too much. He couldn't leave the ladder of being good, thinking that through his own being good, he can have eternal life. Your being good can rob you of the goodness of God. Jesus is saying to him, my dear friend, come down. Come, follow me. I left the glory of my father. I came down to earth as a man. I came down as a servant. The ladder will never bring you to eternal life. Your good things that you are doing will never connect you with heaven. The way to heaven is the way down. Like Jesus came to come and save us. God I love what C.S. Lewis said. He says, God does not love us because we are good, but God will make us good because he loves us. Isn't that beautiful? What was Jesus' response? 
first thing Jesus did, and how can we display God's goodness? How can the goodness of God be displayed as the fruit in and through our lives? The first one is Jesus looked at him. He looked at him. So powerful. You know what I find sometimes difficult, and I know it's not the intentional way, but I don't know if you have the same experience, but you meet people and they always tell you how incredibly busy they are. Super busy. How are you doing? Busy, crazy busy, super busy, over the top. (laughs) What are they trying to communicate to you? Just get out of my life. Not intentionally. I don't have time right now for you. Just don't waste my time. What did Jesus do? He looked at him. He looked at him. What prevents us from looking at people with the goodness of God in our hearts? The Pharisees said, thank you, God, that I'm not like this sinner. He didn't even look at the sinner because he thought he was so holy. He was just on his ladder of holiness. And the moment you start your ladder, you look down upon people. You do not see people in their face. You look at them from the top, down. The second reason why we do not look at people is maybe because of bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, pain, stuff we have suffered in the past. And that makes it we cannot look at people. This last week, I had a great conversation with two of my friends in South Africa, and they said in their group, they also have groups, disciple-making groups, and they decided in their disciple-making group, this week coming, we need to get out of our comfort zone, out of our bubbles, and we need each one of us at least to go and say to another person, The minimum of these three words, God loves you. And they all agree, sure. You can use many more words, but it comes down to at least these three basic words. And all of them went their ways. It was Wednesday evening. They are ready to connect again. And this businessman, he was too busy. And he realized, "Uh uh-oh, he just pulled into the driveway at his house just to have a quick bite so that he can go to his group. And he realized, but I've not spoken to anybody yet what I'm gonna tell them. I said I will do it. And in his rear view mirror, he saw somebody walking past his car at the back of the road. He says, I got it. He jumped out of the car, went to the person and said to him, look at him and says, God loves you. I thought, thanks, I've done my job. (laughs) He went into the house and when he opened the door, the man was behind him. He says, what do you want? How can I help you? He said to me, he showed him his arms. He said, three times in the last two weeks, I've tried to commit suicide. Can you help me to meet this God that you are talking about? That night, he introduced him to God. It was late for his group, but can you imagine the joy? Jesus looked at him. The second thing Jesus did is he loved him, unconditional, just as he was. Jesus loved him as a rich, young, religious ruler. He loved him. Two of our friends that are also missionaries in South Africa, they work with orphanages around the world, said that one day they just felt an urge in their hearts to to bake a birthday cake, and they thought, wow, this is very funny, bake a birthday cake. But they said, we've also learned not to argue with God when he asks us to do something because we will lay awake that night and think, what should we have done? So they baked a birthday cake, beautiful cake, decorated it nicely. 
And then they said, now what, Lord? And they said they just felt in their hearts they must put it in the car and drive in the neighborhood and God will show them where to take it. So they did that. And every person they see walking on the street, they think that maybe this is the cake owner. And then suddenly they came to a house and they both had felt, whoa, this is the house. So they got out of the car with a the cake. They knock at the door. And an elderly lady opened the door and they said to her, Mama, we have brought you this cake. And she started weeping. She says, how did you know? Today is my 80th birthday. My children has long forgotten about me. I'm the only one here. And they went inside and they celebrated her birthday with her. They also celebrated the goodness of God because she met Jesus that day. Jesus loved him. And then the third one is Jesus said to him, Please, let us express the goodness of God by saying to people, come, follow me. Get off your ladder. Get off your performance. Come, follow me. The goodness of God in our lives is so liberating. It is so fulfilling. And it is so empowering. Winston Churchill was one of the British prime ministers during the Second World War. He had a very sharp tongue. And they said, somebody said to him one day, Mr. Churchill, you are a worm. And he says, yes, you are right. I am a worm, but at least I am a glow worm. <laughs> Can I invite you to be a glow worm, glowing with the goodness of God? Let's go to faithfulness. What does God say about faithfulness? What does the scripture say about faithfulness? Let's first ask the question, what is faithfulness? Faithfulness is an attribute in scripture, both applicable to God as well as applicable to us. So it's a word that is used for both. And it means that it's a man or a woman that is dependable, loyal, and stable. In other words, if I rest on this table, I know it's not going to collapse. It is loyal. It is stable. It is dependable. The, the word that this root comes from is a door frame. In other words, you can swing on it. It will hold your weight. That is what faithfulness means. And I would like us to go in the passage in Matthew 25, and that is the passage about the talents that Jesus was sharing, because some beautiful principles there about faithfulness. Matthew 25, verse 14. Matthew 25, verse 14. In your Bibles, in the pew in front of you, page 780, if you want to use that. Page 780. Jesus was sharing this parable both in Matthew and in Luke. And he says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Here is a story about a master that goes on a journey. He called his servants and he entrusted his property to them. Beloved, 
this first principle of faithfulness is critical to understand. God owns the whole world. He has never transferred ownership. Never. He has only given us stewardship. If you do not understand stewardship, it is very difficult to understand faithfulness because stewardship has everything to do with being faithful what has been entrusted to you. You have been entrusted with magnificent relationships. Stewardship means how am I going to represent God in those relationships? Stewardship means I have been given talents, and we will come back to that verse in a moment. We have each been given talents according to our ability. Our maker knows exactly our capacity, what we can and what we cannot handle. He has given us talents. And the third one, he has given us possessions to steward. Saints, you cannot take any of this with you one day. Verse 15. To one he gave five, to the other one two, to the other one one talent, each according to his ability. And I've shared already, each one of us have received according to our ability. You do not even know your whole ability, but your maker does. That is why he's given you these abilities to run with, to steward on his behalf. And that is why there is no jealousy, no competition. It's not necessary. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents as well as the two, they went at once and traded with him. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, verse 19, the master of these servants came and settled accounts with him. And then the one with the five talents came and he gave five more. The one with two talents came and he gave two more. And what was his words to those two? He said to them, verse 21, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Our accounts, listen carefully, our accounts one day will be settled on faithfulness. First question is not that you get the date right when Jesus comes back. He's not going to ask you that. He's going to ask you, have you been faithful with my son Jesus that I've entrusted to you? That's the first faithfulness. Have you been faithful with the relationships I've entrusted to you? Have you been faithful with the gifts and the talents I've given you? And have you been faithful with the possessions I have given you? Or are you busy with the rent space and hoarding and hoarding and hoarding? We are not faithful with the possessions God has given us. The next principle, faithful over the little things. He said to them two things. He said, you have been faithful in this life about the little things. Come enter. In other words, come to my banquet. And then he makes the comparison. I will entrust you with much more. We are on this side of life, just busy with our apprenticeship. 
In Luke 19, he tells the same one, and he says to the one that received the 10 talents, you will govern 10 cities in the new Jerusalem. When the new heaven and the new earth comes, each one of us will have a great job that he's preparing for us right now. This is not the end of the journey. Many of us think of heaven as a place where we're just going to be rocking back and forth in a hammock in the clouds. You have a cuckoo idea about heaven. (laughs) Heaven is going to be a new heaven, and a new earth is going to be established. We are going to work. We're going to govern. We're going to join Christ in what he's doing there, and he's preparing you right now for that part. Work hard on your faithfulness. Then he said to the one that had only one talent, and listen carefully to what he said to them. He said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. And then he started with all kinds of accusations against his master. It lines up me so much. People that do not know God normally starts off with accusations against God. Saying to him, you are this and you are that. Reaping where you did not sow. Gathering where you did not scatter. So I was afraid. Fear grips the heart of those that are not living in faithfulness. Not living out the life of stewardship. Because if I am the owner, where does that end? It just ends at the top of the ladder. And then what do I do with it? And then he says to him these words, here you have what is yours. In other words, I give you back. Here is what is yours. I give it back to you. I'm not interested. That's why he said to him, take his talent, give it to the one that is 10, and take him and throw him in the utter darkness. Our accounts will be settled by faithfulness. And our faithfulness is merely a copy of his faithfulness. One of our friends this last week shared with us, he just came home the evening, he's also a pastor, he was exhausted. He had visited a number of people in the congregation, it was 10 o'clock at night, and he said he just walked into the house, and he felt so strongly a burden on his heart to call a certain woman. She had a peculiar last name. And he thought, oh, this is just my own imagination. And he says, I know if I ignore this, I'm not going to sleep because then I'm going to ask myself, why didn't I call her? So he took out his phone and he called her. And when she answered on the other side, she was screaming. He said, I'm so sorry. I know it's 10 o'clock at night. Forgive me, please, but bear with me, please. And she screamed again at the top of her voice. And he said to her, what's wrong? She says, I'm standing here with a pistol against my head. I'm counting down three, two, and then your call came in. And she screamed again. God's faithfulness came and visited that woman. Will you allow him as you walk, are led, live by, and be in step with the Holy Spirit to use you? Another group recently, and I cannot tell you the country because it's one of the least reached people groups, they went to 
minister in a region where there are no believers. And they went to this village, seven or eight of them, to pray there. It was the night of power during Ramadan where they pray and ask God to reveal himself to them. And they went to the village and they prayed there in the village, in the middle of the village. And nobody showed them hospitality, nothing, because it was Ramadan. They were fasting. And they realized, but nobody is going to invite us. So the group of them left and they journeyed about two miles out of the village under a tree. They made a fire for the night to just sleep there in their sleeping bags. It was very cold. And about two in the morning, they saw all these candles coming towards them. And they thought, "Uh uh-oh, we are now going to die. And they said, no, this is an opportunity to tell about Jesus. So 274 men came, and they stood around this small little group. And they said to him, you know, tonight is our night of power. All 274 of us had exactly the same dream. That's why we are here. Two o'clock in the morning, we couldn't sleep anymore. Isa said that you came to bring us the truth. Isa is the name for Jesus. And we are here to hear that truth. Forgive us for not welcoming you in our village. And that night, all 274 of those men met Jesus, the faithfulness to go even when it looks dark, when it looks unresponsive, when it looks like no results, God was there. And this is my last point. Faithfulness carries always with it three elements. The first one, a time element. What did this first one do that got the five talents? He went at once. Faithfulness does not allow for procrastination because procrastination leads to laziness. Laziness leads to neglect. Faithfulness always have a time element. Do it now. The second element of faithfulness always has to do with a response of an attitude of gratitude. God, the faithfulness you have shown me, I want to pour that out. I live a life in total dedication of what you have done for me. Your faithfulness in my life, I just want to reflect that. Live with an attitude of gratitude. And then the last one, faithfulness always have, as I explained to you, the element of eternal significance. You are just busy here now with your apprenticeship, because that is going to prepare you for when the King of Glory comes back and take us home to rule and reign with Him, and that never ends. Can I encourage you to take afresh today the hand of the Spirit and to walk with Him? May I encourage you to live Sorry, to be led by the Spirit. To live by the Spirit. And to stay in step with the Spirit. So that we can produce the fruit of the Spirit. His goodness and His faithfulness. Shall we all stand as we pray together?